Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to this podcast, The Four Prompts on Death. Here, we talk about death through the four prompts of I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Michael Douglas. Michael is a 53-year-old primitive skills teacher, community mentor, and educator. I met him at his main primitive skills school and have been following his work ever since. We do not discuss the decade-old charge against him. Please listen to later for further details. During this conversation, we discuss the importance of shared story, how community reverses entropy, and why the sacred questions should guide us all. Before we talk about Michael, I want to talk about some of my long-form Sundays posts. These are my weekly reflections on medical school from the very first anatomy lab to now. The clicking you're hearing is me realizing that I didn't actually prep myself for this uh, intro, so I need to kind of circle onto Facebook to find out what I actually wrote. So uh, a little bit ago, on uh, September 24th, 2019, I published on necessary brevity or the beginning of consult liaison psych. This week I reflected on a wedding weekend. I quickly review my current state, tired, full of love, and needing many naps. Then more recently, I published uh, on high volume and low processing. This week I reflected on the beginning of a week-long vacation. This was on September 29th, 2019. Before I can truly enjoy my time off, I feel like I need to relate some of the heavy stories that I've been carrying with me over the past few weeks. I've been reading about them even after I lo- no- after I no longer follow them from a professional standpoint. Hopefully, this bit of brutally short synopsis provides me some closure so that I can enjoy my coming week with my family. Then finally, most recently, I published on October 6th, 2019. This week I reflected on a delicious week of vacation with my partner, my baby, and my pooch. I wish for a bit more time knowing that even if I received that extra reprieve from the hospital, I would end up still asking for more. So you can find all of these reflections in their entirety at eugenehkim, uh, or you can go to Amazon and search for physician education, and it'll pop up under the title of On the Education of a Physician. Uh, you can get the both the Kindle versions, uh, or you can get paperback copies, depending on how you uh, you know prefer to c- receive your uh, text words. And uh, again, you can also find them for free on my website eugenehkim. That's e u g e n e h dot k i m. I swear it's a real website. So, back to Michael. Michael is uh, beyond his genetics, the environment he immerses himself in, and what he focuses on in that environment. A member of a vibrant community, a father of a brilliant family, having fun making it up as he goes, and trying to find the threads of ancestral wisdom. Before Michael dies, he wants to honor the mentors in his life, a medicine worker on every corner, at least one of his butternut trees to produce butternuts, and people to realize that you're not going to be young forever, and how you treat your elders is going to come back and haunt you. When Michael dies, he wants a peaceful transition surrounded by his loved ones, a beautiful sunset, to end it where it started, three years before he goes, a glass of red wine to make a collection of music, and all his ducks in a row. After Michael dies, he wants to surrender this energy that's been moving this body around toward where it can make the greatest good, and to see the pendulum not swing so harshly from left to right all the time. And finally, in conclusion, Michael says, in spite all of the crazy, love. And I think those are great, great final words. So this was, I, I've been grappling with this conversation for a while. We had this conversation, this is actually the second 
time I recorded an interview with Michael. The first one was about a, about a year or two ago. It was when I was kind of like just sort of hitting my stride with, with this podcast. And actually, I'm kind of glad the, the audio recording of that conversation was terrible. Like my side was recorded, but his side wasn't. It was on Skype. It was the last and only time I've ever used Skype for an interview. And uh, this was why. Um, and, you know, I'm actually kind of glad that that interview didn't record well because I don't think it was a great conversation. I think I wasn't quite ready to interview him. I wasn't in a, a good – I was very much in like a putting people on pedestals mode at that time. And uh, when I was able to interview him now was after the birth of my son and um, as I was more confident in myself as an interviewer. And it was a really – I really love this conversation. I really had so much fun. I was smiling the whole time. And we cover a lot of really good ground in terms of community, in terms of ancestral wisdom, in terms of uh, – he has this really lovely um, uh, schema for how to sort of develop uh, an idea of how does somebody de- uh, grow and, and mature from, from the east to the south to the west to the north. It's great. You'll hear it, and it's a really great conversation. Um, and then as I was preparing this interview for release, I um, was informed of these allegations against Michael, that, which occurred about almost 10 years ago to the day. I think it's about nine years ago now. And they are that he was teaching at a high school in Augusta, Maine. And I apologize if I get some of these details wrong. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a dude with a podcast that happens to have uh, an MD behind his name. Not, you know, full disclosure, I'm not a lawyer. so he was teaching in Augusta, Maine, and um, it was found that he had uh, images of under eight of, of some, I don't know the exact details, but it was, it was child pornography, and he was let go, he, was, he resigned or, or was removed from the position as a teacher at the school. I think he taught science, and um, subsequently that he was the, a jury uh, there was there was like a judge and a jury and a whole rigmarole and the jury dropped the charges. The the ju- judge also dropped two additional charges against him, um, and there have been, to my knowledge, no further allegations of this um, against him. And um, you know, when I heard that, I was like, ah, oh, shit, what do I do with this? Um, because you know, there are a couple things. It's like I don't I don't want to like. Like I just don't, I just don't know. Uh, there's, there's a part of me that knows that, as a psych, you know, as somebody in the mental health field, as a psychiatrist, that people talk to people like who have gone through some crazy shit. Um, I know that judging somebody off of their worst mistakes is a terrible way to lead a community to have a society. However, I also know that these are the that the these are charges and these are actions that do reflect character and does that mean that he is unable to provide any wisdom on community building primitive skills or what have you as a result of having uh, child porn on his computer I it's a tough question that I honestly have been grappling with for the past few weeks and months I don't know they are not um you know, I think that this conversation in isolation is a wonderful and powerful conversation that really lit me up. Um, and, you know, in retrospect, with the knowledge of some of these allegations, it, it puts into perspective some of the reasons why he says things like, uh, you know, for uh, for the 
before he dies. He wants people to realize that you're not going to be young forever and how you treat your elders is going to come back and haunt you. And I also understand that that's part of why he doesn't, you know, in the conversation he discusses why he doesn't want to be seen as a an elder yet. And if you do, he'll he'll he's just he says I'll kick your ass. And it's um, I think he understands that he's a flawed human, and I think that should go. I don't know if that forgives anything. I don't know. I know that the whole process. You know, I know that the whole thing of of ch how child pornography is made is one whole thing, but then the consumption of it is a whole other thing, and how the consumption of it drives the production. Of it. I don't know. I'm I'm really. I, I think you can tell I'm torn, um, but I also know that this was a great conversation. And does that mean that I should table this conversation? This is the whole question that I'm not sure. Um, I do have plans to re-interview Michael, specifically focusing on this question of these allegations and his legacy and, and what does that mean. Um, but I also feel that I need, to, I need to grow up a little bit myself before I can have that kind of a conversation with him um, because I don't know. I, should I take a, should I seek the truth, you know, the quote, quote T, like capital T truth, um, like as, as a lawyer would? Um, should I try to wring an apology out of him in this, com in that subsequent conversation? Should I, um, should I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure, um, but I do know that this was a great conversation, the one that we did have, um, and I know that I do want to speak with Michael again, and we have been in communication, and I'm not exactly sure what that conversation is going to sound like or when it'll happen, but I know that it will happen, um, or at least I hope that it will. Um, and so I, I hope that you, listener, can hear the, the angst in my voice that I don't know. I don't know. People are complicated. Gandhi slept with underage women, uh, you know, in his bed to, to prove that he was, you know, celibate. And Martin Luther King slept with women, and so did JFK. And it's, I don't, I don't know. And I'm not comparing Michael to um, these figures, but I also know that nobody is a very simple one-line explanation of a person. He, Michael is not uh, somebody who watches child porn. Michael is not just a primitive skills teacher. We are all multiple facets, and we all have terrible vices. We all do things that we wish we, you know, our higher, our, that our higher selves wish we would not do. And yet here we are. We're on this earth. We shit. We fart. We vomit. We cry. And I don't know. Um, that said, I really hope you're ready for a great conversation. It's 90 minutes of, of great joy for me and even knowing these allegations against Michael I am still able to enjoy this conversation so I hope that with full disclosure about this past and some of the allegations against him uh, which have subsequently been dropped against him I hope that you are able to enjoy this conversation with Michael Douglas on death It is June 3rd, 2019. I'm sitting here in my Orfield, Pennsylvania home, and Michael Douglas is sitting in his Augusta, Maine home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Michael, what are the four prompts? The four prompts. The first one, I am. Second, before I die, I want. Next, when I die, I want. And then finally, after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? Hmm, I am, for brevity's sake, I am beyond my genetics, the environment I immerse myself in, and what I choose to focus on in that environment. 
And so when I was a kid, I didn't have a choice. If I were angry or dehydrated or tired, I might say, I am a displaced piney from the Pine Barrens of New Jersey. But from my wellness place, I am a member of a vibrant community with a healthy, well-adjusted family with a patient and saint-like wife <laughs> with the strength of 10 bears and, and a, an eldest son who has the heart of an artist and who can call animals in by just sitting or walking in the woods and a middle son who is, uh, I think we, we watched Bob the Builder too much. He's the, uh, the businessman since age 12. He, he dragged his wagon around the neighborhood and raked leaves and made a living. And he, he's coming back to the skills now. He, he has his own business. He's going to school full time. They're both Eagle Scouts. And I didn't push that. They just wanted, they got into a contest who could earn the most badges. And I just stepped out of the way with that one. <laughs> but, um, you know, he has his own truck. He wants to buy and caretake land. So he's learning how to make soap. And we tap the maple trees together. So this is my middle child who, who left the woods to strike it out on his own at the ripe old age of 13 and, and is very successful in his own right with all that he does with that. And he's just like, Dad, I'm tired of, of being what other people expect me to do. I want to come back and learn what I want. And he wants to learn these mm. skills. And, you know, yeah, that that brought a tear to my eye almost now even i'm just so thankful because you can't tell them what to think you can't tell them where to go you just have to stand back and give them enough love and and soil and water to to blossom into their own being right mm -hmm. so that was a gift from the universe right there <laughs> and then i've got a daughter who you know they call them hurricanes not hemicanes for a reason <laughs> And she is the master of her own destiny. And if you don't believe her, watch out. She'll knock you down, get into it. Uh, she has the, she's power. And uh, I just adore and admire the strength of my daughter. Emily is a field hockey goalie um, and is going to be, she already knows what she wants to be in a, in a scope of either veterinary or nursing. She wants to take care of the sick and the ailing and, and she gets a rush out of helping people get back on their own two feet. Not bad for 17, right? And she's had that medicine ever, or excuse me, that unique expression of a multitude of criteria that, uh, you know, we interpret as personality, um, as you know, the old ways were a lot simpler, weren't they? Uh, <laughs> as, as, as her interface. And, you know, when she was two, I, I told her, Stop using the cat as nunchucks. <laughs> and she said, let me be me. And I was like, whoa, how do you, what do you answer to that? So, all right, Kitty does not appreciate being nunchucks. It is not who Kitty wants to be. So you have to figure out, you know, I'm telling this to a two-year-old about, you know, relationships. And it was amazing. And uh, she's kept me on the run ever since. So Look at that. I went off on the, the happiest part of me. You know, I am a father of a brilliant family and a uh, participant of a community where I get to share skills. But most of the time, don't tell anybody, 85 to 90 percent of the time, I'm listening so hard as a student of the skills that they're they're expressing, whether it's uh, a new way to, to streamline the dishwashing process in the field with nothing but tarps and and you know wildfires materials or uh, somebody knows something about a plant that I don't know anything about, and the, you know they're an apprentice or a student. There's so much of it going on that I'm I'm not really teaching as much as I am learning. 
Mm. <laughs> I don't want to lose my job. <laughs> so let me let me jump in here. I think uh, a fun a fun thing to talk about first. Um, uh, you know, and then we'll get a little more serious as we go. So we'll first talk about family, then we'll talk about this community you built, and then we'll talk about the the landscapes and the separation of that landscapes that you discussed initially. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, to dig into family first, um, how old are those three children that you have right now? About how old? Three years. Of, yeah, it's easy. Three years apart, all born in May. So I don't have to remember too much. <laughs> if I can remember one, I can get them all. So Emily's 17. She's the youngest. Mm-hmm. Ryan is 20. He's the middleest. And Dakota <laughs> is 23. He's the oldest. Excellent. And um, something that I have been saying a lot in this podcast, and I feel like it's very true, especially with your middle son, is this idea of, uh, you know, like you can, uh, a child can run away from a village and when they're in the wild, they can go come back or they can find a new village. And when they find that new village, they can, they have the comparison of a different village to, you know, suss out like, is this, is like, what's the nonsense happening here? And what's, what's, what's actually important happening here. But if a child is born in the wilderness, then they go to a village, they have no, they have no comparison. So they're like, this is the Kool-Aid that I'm going to drink. And with your middle son, it sounds like you, you know, he, he grew up in the village of your wilderness wackiness and he yes. left and he, he, he's doing his own thing, but he's coming back. And that, that coming back is a true expression of both his sovereignty, as well as the, the fact that you're doing good stuff. You know, if he, if he didn't want to come back, he wouldn't, you know, if, he, if it wasn't good stuff, he wouldn't want to come back, especially after he's found some success out, you know, out there. But now that he's out there, he wants to come back, which is, I think, a beautiful expression. Mm, thank you, man. Yeah. I didn't, you know, we call it Southwesting, but when it, I guess when it's in your own family, you don't see it, you know, it's coming. But when it happens, you're not sure that it's happening. It, it's such an organic thing, right? Going out away from the, the hood, if you will, to find out your own voice, mm-hmm. bringing it back. And, uh, man, yeah. Yeah, that is, <laughs> that's true. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, I wonder uh, what has, like, I guess something to marry this next idea, too, is uh, uh, what have you learned about mentoring from your children? Cause it sounds like you're like kind of a hands off, especially with that youngest one. You're just like hands off, just let her kind of be your thing. But also right. like, what have you learned about mentoring from the community that you're building and also from the, the family? And I know that it's a very different relationship, but it's also kind of the same suite of skills. It's in the same shed, but maybe different sides of the shed. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a bigger thing going on. I guess the biggest thing that I take away from it is the realization there's a bigger thing going on. And, um, the hardest part for a parent is you can't, you can't mentor your children in the way that you would uh, a neighbor's kid or your best friend's kid (laughs) because you could tell them things and they'll listen, but your own kids that only works until they're six or seven. Mm -hmm. And actually there's a spot and when they're two where it's the opposite but then you learn it's the opposite so you kind of figure it out after six or seven though you're no longer cool mm-hmm. and um you the harder piece is to be the example mm-hmm. and they always call you out like you're in situation <laughs> there's no guidebook there's no here's how to parent and then you co- go through the dichotomous key if child has bloody nose on white carpet and it's the ninth time yes or no you don't there's no <laughs> You just, you got to be present with everything and draw all of your awareness outward instead of in, which is hard when you're angry or fearful, right? 
and mm-hmm. then ask for the for the solutions. Like as a parent, you immediately identify three primary ills, and it doesn't matter what situation there is. You break it down into three primary ills, and they are lack. My kid is hungry. <laughs> Blockage. My kid has a poopy diaper. <laughs> or imbalance. My kid is overtired and beaten on my other kid is trying to take a nap. All right. So, and those, those three things apply to all of life, it seems. In fact, I, I learned that in nature, there's either lack, blockage, or imbalance. And you, you call out the overpopulated Norway rat so you could still eat fruits in the, in the season where they're going to be ripe, or else the rats are going to wipe out the chipmunks, the red squirrels, and everything, every fruiting body, including the nut production in your, in your bioregion. And you'll know that the rats are coming before uh before they become a problem because suddenly all the chipmunks disappear and then you see the first rat and if you don't take out the matriarch then and you don't have her for stew there's going to be well over 30 rats in the compost pile each night in september when they're drunk with all of the meat and berries and, and acorns right so tracking it i had to track myself more than i had to track my children mm-hmm. um as you know, as a facilitator of of mentoring, you can just be part of the the mutual show. But when you're a parent, they don't go home at night, and they see you when you're tired and at your worst. They see you leave the seat up or <laughs> leave crap in the microwave. They see you not do your dishes when you're telling them to do theirs. Um, and so you have to be present with yourself and things will come out of your mouth that are so sincere that they frighten you, but you do it because it's your child and there's no other greater love or connection than that, that part of your sacred fire, which you're leaving to the world. Right. So, um, you want your pride to be validated and you want your concerns to be addressed and you can't ask anyone else in the world to step in for you. They'll never do it as good as you. They'll mm-hmm. never have the connection because they're of your own expression of life. There's, there's this powerful thing. Now, you can cultivate, you can cultivate that power, parental power in somebody that you adopt, let's say. And here's the thing. This was the norm. Community was extended Family. It still is in many hunter-gatherer nomadic cultures and in oral traditions that have recently been divorced from the earth. When I say recently, you know, 500 years or less, so two to three generations or less, mm-hmm. you still hear people calling their neighbors uncles and aunts, right? Mm-hmm. That piece is a powerful and missing component. It's, it's the love you get from seeing each other as family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily there's some Disney movies about that too. We could, we could reference. Um, <laughs> and it's not limited to Hawaii, mm-hmm. not limited to, uh, the, the Penobscot nation, Indian Isle. They still do that. They still refer to each other as extended family. And it doesn't have to be limited to those places. We can bring one of the, those are technologies we can bring back. So my kids had uncles and aunts, and they have grandmothers and grandfathers that aren't blood lineage. And, the, and at 22, my son still says, is grandfather Isaac coming in August to the to the reunion? We're doing a 30-year thing, right? And it's fun. Like, oh, man, he still refers to his grandfather Isaac and grandmother April and, and Uncle Ira, right? Or Uncle Yeti, depending on what mood he's in. So <laughs> um, we have these connections. I, I got to sing children into the world with a bunch of my closest friends as they 
are not even a few hours old, we get to sing celebratory songs to them and their mothers and, and hold that moment as a shared story as part of this journey that these children are coming up through now, eight to 16 years old, these kids, right? And, and we've all been a part of their storyline. And so there's this deep connection they're enjoying that, you know, it's funny, I would sing to my kid in the womb and at 10, he comes up to me and goes, you know, these skills are pretty cool, dad. I wish I started them earlier. <laughs> I started laughing like, oh, I know, right? Why I ought to. And uh, one thing I'm struck by is, uh, you know, we, we had a conversation a couple, like maybe almost like a year ago, and uh, it was a very different conversation. And I think for me personally, as the interviewer, a big difference is the birth of my son. He's six months old right now. And so I think that changes my perspective in the way that I can have a conversation with you. And I think it's a very, a much different one that I'm really enjoying right now. The first one's so like, I was trying to get something versus this one. I'm just like, let me, I want to learn. And like, just kind of like, uh, bounce stuff ideas off of you because this is such a a wonderful opportunity for me to have a mentor and you even just for an hour. Um, And uh, something that I was thinking about while you were talking is this idea of community being more of a familial, like a true earnest, mutually beneficial relationship, one where you're mutually invested. And it's something that I'm struggling with in terms of, uh, you know, like I have uh, buddies from college, uh, about 10 of us, and we've known each other for about a decade, but you know, the the relationships you have as young men and as you transition towards uh, like the 30s, it's very different. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, wacky behaviors you have as a young 20 year old that, that aren't necessarily beneficial, especially in a group setting. And also in terms of like other neighbors and having like neighbors that you don't ever talk to, but you know, they live a hundred feet away. And if their house burns down, what do you do? Um, And it's this idea of, uh, of, of community is such a word that can mean so little or can mean so much. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that is very hard for, especially like me, I'm I'm sort of opening my eyes to it, but I feel like a lot of people don't understand. Like when you, when you, like the new age, you uh, like, you can throw around the word tribe in like a new age setting and it, you know, people will kind of nod their heads and say yes, but it's a very different thing to understand. What does it mean to actually have a true community of people that are invested in a relationship with you and your development over the course of not just hours, but over decades and really in, in not having any blood relationship, just being like, I'm invested in this person. And, and I think for a lot of people being on the receiving end of that kind of attention and care, uh, can be very, uh, it can be very, very reaffirming. And also like the first time it's happened in, in, a, in, you know, and I, and I wonder, um, in, in terms of the, the people that you are, building and bringing together in this disparate community of Maine Primitive Skills School, um, how do you, how do you build that community? And something we talked about before the interview was the uh, Thanksgiving address. Um, And I also wonder um, what are some other ways in which you, you build that community and that real kind of uh, uh, parental relationship, but without, you know, you know, in that adoptive family. Right. So the hardest part, I think starting off with um, all, not all of the mistakes, that's, that's another three days right there, but um, you can't, you can't do it yourself. That's funny. Community is a catch 22. You want community, but you can't do it yourself. So um, I can't make community happen. (laughs) I'm a community. Look over here. No, doesn't work that way. Uh, And it's one of the, it's similar to ask me what's the hardest part about the whole like off grid living, rewilding, whatever you want to call it. It is the people landscape is the most exhausting part. It's the one that people <laughs> find you know trees don't move around and they don't necessarily have an opinion. They follow their original instructions, mm-hmm. as do most other things. Um, we we are the craziest creatures, man. Um, 
and we're really smart and we outsmart ourselves and we don't know what we want. So it's really just, it's a madhouse. <laughs> and uh, I can't use a lot of the, the, for instance, time in nature is completely different than human time, you know, and it, it, human time keeps getting faster. Mm-hmm. I had to get one of those Star Trek devices and I leave it in my truck because it pulls me away from being in the present. Um, but I put it in the truck because then, you know, that's I'm sometimes in the truck and I'm never in the office. So I answer for the phone more. Isn't that's, that's <laughs> my, like there's my reconciliation between the two systems. Right. And it's still too slow for a lot of people. I don't know what to do with that, but I can tell you that. Gosh, don't force community. It has to have its own time and you invite people. You know, when, when I started it out, I think one of the best things I did was adopt elders. And, you know, I've done some other things that were, I thought, great things. And it, the ripples that went out were like, how are my kids expected to learn anything if they're out in the woods playing all the time? And, you know, kids would come home really excited about learning. And that was weird to people. So include parents. If you're going to do kids programs, include parents first, mm. invite them to help invite them to be part of the process. You know, what will happen is they'll go home and they'll still play those games that you did and they'll hear why their kids are so lit up because they're lit up too. And, and you start to have a shared story, develop shared story. Don't develop community. Community is a result of shared story. Mm. And the only way you're going to share stories to invite people into your life with the knowledge that they're going to exhaust you, but you do it anyway. Like, mm-hmm. you know, having a kid, you, if you're going to wait till you can afford to or have time for a kid, you'll never have children. <laughs> Nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. They hold space. They the new Congratulations. You've redefined the center of your universe. When a kid pops out, you'll never understand until they do how much you could love another human being. And no one can hear that until you go through that rite of passage. Until that happens to you, those words fall flat because words are a far distant substitute for experience but when you have shared story oh all right now now you have community you know when you fail in that garden attempt together you can have a few beers and laugh about it when you're doing it by yourself maybe you throw up your hands and you you put sod back down because the garden sucks and obviously i'm not a good gardener but when you laugh with each other and you share in each other's perspectives as to why you didn't get cabbages or why everything just you the next the next garden will be better See, you reverse entropy. We community reverses entropy, and and, and even in our survival classes, mm-hmm. I say, technology is a far distant substitute for community. When you have people gathering the firewood while you're out hunting, and others are, are drying the berries they gathered, and there's people pulling up the gill nets from under the ice, you and you know you're going home to people who love you, and and the and the fire has made it warm and there's cooked or dried venison waiting for you. And the landscape is benefiting from your presence because you're moving every time, you know, you have to move in order to keep the bounty flowing for the next season, instead of staying until it's all wiped out. I mean, that's happening now, right? With modern foraging and small kitsch restaurants who want to serve wild leeks, buy wild leeks, Right. We'll have to wait for the market to crash before you can recover. And it's going to take six or seven generations to do so. Bye, Chaga. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. We want to engage, but we're like that kid with the BB gun. You know, oh, I want to shoot a bird. And then you shoot a bird and you feel like, oh, I shot a bird. (laughs) 
we, I mean, it, it, but it's happening globally. So, oh gosh, we're shooting all the birds <laughs> and we're, and we're making islands of plastic in the ocean. Um, yeah. So, well, what's that mean? What do I do about it? Well, I can only control my own backyard and I can't control a community of people. So if I make a kick-ass, really cool backyard, even if it's just like a, a, a an nth degree of a 20 by 30 plot and I put a bird feeder up, hey, you want to come over? Yeah, sure. What are you doing? I, I got to show you something, right? And you invite your friend over and just as they come over, there's the red squirrel at the feeder. Oh my God, you got a rat on your feeder. No, dude, that's a red squirrel kind of cute yeah right you just you just created shared story you created a link to something bigger than the nine to five mm-hmm. or is that a double rainbow or hey check out this sunset you don't even have to leave your car right it's not about the quantity of the experience it's about the quality again anchor points develop those primal anchor points in your nine to five and then make time even if it's a moment to breathe in the fullness of that of that experience, whether it's the first spring rain or you see a turtle crossing the street and you stop to help it, create at least one of those a day so that before you go to bed, you look at your journal and it's all boring, go out and make an adventure happen. At least look for the North Star. Or if there's no stars, which way are the clouds moving and how does that predict the weather for the next day, right? I would say, um, reactivate the sacred question in your heart. You know what the sacred question is? It's your childlike curiosity refined to adult form. The sacred question is feelings um, and expanding your awareness. It's if you want your logical mind to have some fodder to feast on while you develop your sacred question, it's why is this here? What is this telling me and what should I do about it? So I don't know if that helps, but that's the baseline for generating community. Thankfulness, inviting people into shared story, maybe going over to their place to share in their story. Remember, mutually beneficial relationships. Bake a pie, welcome in that new neighbor. <laughs> you know. Excellent, excellent. And um, something like I, I think I see the thread to the the the, the next part of the I am of the of the you know kid with the BB gun shooting the birds uh, towards that that landscape connection. Um, but I, before we get there, I want to talk about some words you threw out, and I want to hear your perspective on it in terms of uh, of mentors and elders. Um, mm-hmm. and this is uh, I think it was. Uh, I forget his name. Maybe it was Corcoran, Tim Corcoran. Um, he has this model of like child, adult, mentor, elder, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe you throw a parent in there. Um, and uh, I wonder what is your perspective on what, like, kind of, and you also use the word rite of passage. And what is, what are those transition points between the two, those, those stages? Because uh, for me personally, in in the world that I inhabit, in the, in the landscape that I have, I don't. I don't see any elders. I don't see any mentors and I barely see many adults. And I see a lot of adolescents that are stuck, you know, aged into uh, older bodies. But I, I, so I feel like I've, I've stepped into a role of like questionable adulthood, questionable mentorhood, almost questionable elderhood because there's such a vacuum. And mm-hmm. I wonder what do you, what is your perspective on these terms and, and, and transitioning between these terms? Get your pens and pencils out, everybody. This is a good one. <laughs> First, I'll say, we all fall short of our ecological ideals. Mm-hmm. We all fall short of it. And so when you look at someone, you have to see the entirety of that human. Um, we all do things that will irritate our loved ones. 
and we all do things contrary to what our passion brings us to. And when we see that in our mentors, our mentors step into that role knowing this. You know what the difference is between a mentor and an apprentice? What? The apprentice wants to be better than the mentor. And the mentor also wants the apprentice to be better than the mentor. Mm. That's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. So, oh man, I have nothing but love and admiration for Tom Brown Jr. But in that act of stating this, I put him on a pedestal and he does not defend himself at all. And his pedestal gets knocked down and then someone picks up the pedestal, bashes him over the head with it. <laughs> Yet I have not found a single human being and I actively, actively search them out who has the breadth and depth of knowledge, of nature connection knowledge as that one human being. Is he nice to other people? Nope, he's not. Because modern pe- people don't speak earth language and his frustration and anger is very evident. Very evident. So you can't be warm and fuzzy with grumpy Uncle Tom, as my kids call him. You know, my my daughter started it. I can't call you grandfather because my dad said you get tweaked out. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we call him grumpy uncle. But we say that with love in our heart, you know. So everyone has to have a grumpy uncle. Everyone needs grandma to somehow put them in their place, and we don't like it. Like grandma loves us and makes the best cookies. And we listen to grandma. I, grandma strength can beat Rambo strength any day of the week, right? There's power and grant and that grandmotherly holding space for a wisdom and perspective that spans the generations. And you know, it's not going to be there forever. Mm-hmm. Right. When grandma talks and you're just sitting there with grandma having cookies, maybe over the wood stove or watching the sunset or feeding the ducks. You listen. You listen because you know, and it's not like my four-year brain, four-year-old brain understands that there is this brevity of life thing happening. It's a more primal instinct of listening. Now, every time I smell cookies, I think of grandma. Well, in the old days, they would burn sage or sweetgrass, wouldn't they? To bring these things that we are about to speak should be attached strongly into your rooted memory so you can pass them to the generations that we won't see, right? So... Those stations in life, the East, uh, the energetic of the new beginnings, the the zero to eight-year-old, wide-eyed Calvin and Hobbes wonder is the absorbing sponge that needs to be tempered with safety. You know, I didn't say look both ways before you cross the street because I was my kid's parent. I had to do it differently. So luckily, I had, um, we get a lot of roadkill here because of the biomass we've been developing over 30 years. Uh, a lot of <laughs> animals come across the street to eat our food and they get hit by cars, which, you know, that happens. And we do what we can to make sure it's not a waste, whether through, you know, using the hides or even just the paw prints on ink pads to, to learn about different tracks or hair albums. But I would just take my kids down and say, ooh, yikes, look at this squirrel. What happened here? Mm. Right. So for my boys, they wouldn't have to be told look both ways. They just didn't want to end up like that squirrel or that raccoon. Mm. And Emily, she was a little different. She was like, Oh, can I keep the feet? And I'm like, Oh, you're missing the message here. (laughs) (laughs) And I see in there that is the experience of a shared story of like what's happening here versus let me tell you a story that you have to absorb and then vomit back at me. Yes. At every turn, invite them to tap into that sacred question. Why is this here? 
What is this telling me? What should I do about it? Quite the opposite from an institutional experience of sit down, shut up, raise your hand if you have a question and you may be picked. And if not, well, we'll have to have an individual meeting uh, you know, around a table and talk about you in front of you. And maybe there'll be some medicine involved. You know, We'll have to medicate that out of you. And, uh, it's quite contrary to that. And that razor's edge of the, reconciling those two worlds, uh, which are really the same or coming from the same planet. Um, and each has their own gifts. That's the other thing. Who wants to give up, you know, the modern conveniences in the middle of the, the deepest clouds of mosquitoes? You know, somebody made that mosquito net. Somebody made the technology that keeps us talking to each other right now. So mm-hmm. we have to reconcile those two worlds and move it forward in a, in a fashion that the next generation can take that and do something even more with it, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's that. um the 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 adolescent piece is in the south energy this this is where we our school of hard knocks you know within 20 minutes i'm a 13 year old who loves my parents and then hates them because i can't go and hang out with my friends till midnight but then i want them to snuggle up with me before bed and watch my favorite show right Uh, and we learn who we are and we try to stretch our wings in that adolescence, it's important to have rites of passage around recognizing you're no longer a kid and that you're transforming it to something. But in that transformation, you got to figure out, you have to figure out who you are in that space where you're becoming something other than a kid, not quite yet an adult. There's a process that is missing in our modern context that used to be huge in our hunter-gatherer nomadic context. And you still see remnants of it in spite of that. That's why I call it, I like the term invisible school, right? It's this genetic memory meets the living landscape and there's these things that happen. So even though we, we don't have rites of passage for our adolescents, they've developed their own. So they get beat into gangs, right? Mm-hmm. They make or take risks that are far more dangerous than the ones we might set up for them in a vision quest experience or a walkabout experience. So, you know, they're going to do it without us if they don't do it with us. Mm -hmm. And that's on us. That's on the parents and the people entering their thirties, even if they didn't decide to have children, Hey, sorry, I know you didn't sign up for this, but you're here. And those kids are going to look up to you like you're superheroes. How are you going to react to that? Don't create more narcissism, please. <laughs> <laughs> There's enough narcissism. It's self-absorbing. And, you know, in, in other natural systems, we would call that a tumor or a parasite. So mm-hmm. um, you look at the landscape and, and figure out how you can benefit the landscape. And you'd be surprised at how the, ben- how the landscape benefits you. And so all of this is permutations of our thrashings in adolescence. We get to understand these things. We come back to the village with our gifts intact and we look around and we figure out, oh, I know how I could be of service to my people. Then we fly out. We become young adults, whether it's the Marine Corps or the Peace Corps or the Appalachian Trail uh, University. You know, we, we get out of the hood and we figure out who we are um, in an intact developmental cycle. We're supported with this. In a lot of modern paradigms, you have a guidance counselor who tells you where you can go for college and then you should pick a major and you don't even know who you are yet. Like, okay, I think I like animals and maybe I'll be a vet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Oh, is, so real quick question. Is this where the term Southwesting is the transition from the South to the West? Yes. The Southwesting period. The I like this. Time. Okay. Okay. Very cool. 
right? So in that Southwesting time, when you figure out who you are and, and life becomes this beautiful banquet at the peak of Southwesting, oh, every, there's so many adventures. I want to go rock climbing in Utah and I want to go check out the surf in Big Sur and I want to do all of these wonderful, amazing scuba dive and skydive and, and there's, there's beautiful people to partner with but there's a lot of them. So maybe, and then <laughs> what happens is loneliness sets in. Mm -hmm. the, the party feels like a shallow end of a deeper pool. There's something more. And you have all these wonderful epiphanies and you, you want to share them with somebody, right? So there's this primal calling to find that pair bond, if you will. But then something happens as well. In that loneliness, Oh, you discover who you are, but you have to pay the bills and wash the dishes and your roommates are blah, blah, blah. And the boss says you have to be blah, blah, blah. And there's this wall of grief, this wall, this per this permeable membrane that sweeps over us and knocks us on our butts. It could be the death of a parent or a grandparent. It could be, I know who I am, but my job won't let me. It could be a combination, but we always seem in our, in our, you know, the cycle of things to have this epiphany when we get floored. Um, and the grief is so overwhelming that we have to cut the unnecessary and retreat to our core and find out really, really what's important before we transcend that grief. And yeah, community is needed. Community is needed. And if it's not there, you could be in that, you could be stuck in that until you're 50 or 80. You'd be a grumpy, lonely, bitter old fart, right? Get off my lawn instead of a wisdom keeper. So there's a, there's certainly now you could be both. You know, I think there are people who are both as a as a defense mechanism. Um, you know, that's 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 finding wisdom in the in the trauma, isn't it? But I would say once you decide that, hey, every every relationship I have is going to separate everyone. And if I pour myself into them fully, I'm gonna get my heart broken every day. Once you've realized that. And then you hold each relationship to the light and make it a, a, a knowing investment. And when you invest, you do it fully. Well, now, now you've transcended the wall of grief and welcome to adulthood. That's when you can become a mentor or a parent. Because you know your heart's going to be broken. That's a given. That's, that's just, that's the, that's the price of admission. And everything else is the sweetness of it. That's the sweetness of life. And it's sacred. I'll use the S word. It's sacred when you when you walk into it fully, knowing your heart is going to be rended from you. I hate you. The first adolescent, I hate you with the squinty eyes and the clenched fist is like a dagger. Right. And then come back and say, that's OK. I still love you. Right. That is where it comes from. Is that that's an unshakable foundation. It's funny. You, 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 you wallow in it for a while. It helps to temper you. Then you get exhausted by it. I can't, I can't watch news cycles. I can't watch a man. Oh, that makes me ignorant. Probably. Probably. I can't read Facebook for more than like five minutes. So I get in here after a full day or three in the woods, and I have this joy in my heart, and I share. Blech. But if I read too many things before I share, ooh, maybe I won't share because I got some stuff in there. It's like having a beautiful glass of, of water you gather from the spring and then somebody just hocked a loogie in it, you know, uh, and, and they need to hock their loogies, but maybe they should hock their loogies in the compost pile. <laughs> maybe there should be compost pile Facebook pages where you know you're, you're going to go in there just to unload, right? And at the end, um, 
I don't know, maybe they make it into a big joke to, to laugh at it themselves. I don't know what they do with it. Maybe they just burn it. Maybe they just delete it. I don't know. We're not using it responsibly enough. It's a powerful tool, but I feel like we're still young with it. Like adolescence behind the wheel of a Lamborghini, this technology mm-hmm. thing. So I don't know. I hope that helps. But in the, yeah, so in the West, you're, you're coming, you're operating from a baseline of unconditional love, purpose beyond self, but you're tending your sacred fire. So you come from a place of wellness. It's not selfish to say, I need to take a nap. If you're frazzled and you know that you're coming to the end of the ability to speak from a place of peace because the kids are climbing on the furniture and the dog pooped in the living room and the phone has been ringing off the hook and you got a bunch of bills and all in the last three hours. It's okay. It's okay. Let's go take a nap, you know, because you need to wake up refreshed, drink a lot of water, go out for a walk, and then get your work done. Come from a place of peace in your heart to get the more important things done. Well, it's going to be late. Better late and done well than rushed and handed in all broken and full of cracks and fissures because you forced things. Mm -hmm. It never works as well when you force it. Again, one of my elders, never hurry. Never worry, never force anything. Mm. So then where, where does that leave North? Well, that was a comment on the North, wasn't it? I mean, I'm looking at uh, Grandfather Ray. People get mad at me. I just call him Ray. He's a person. Yeah, but I, I love him. And in my landscape, he is the grandfather role for me. I adopted him willingly and intentionally as that for me. Mm-hmm. So... To say anything else for me is a disrespect mm-hmm. because I respect him on that level. Um, and, and I have that there, I guess, this pride, isn't it? I have that, I say it with intention so people know that that's a thing. So there's my warrior-ness with it. And I, I, and I shall not yield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coin says and mems, I, I will not cave on that one. People are going to ask you to cave. There's a lot of angst and weirdness about it. You know, I think rewilding got this is like here's play the background music for the conspiracy theories. Ready? Mm-hmm. So I think rewilding got co opted by um, certain forces, and like every time there's a movement towards deep nature connection, the grief comes up and derails it. Right? Mm-hmm. Who are you to be saying that? You know, I was, I was told it, I could go out in the woods because I had money and quite opposite, naturally. Uh, Pineys are known. My mom was a waitress. My dad was a, was a mechanic. And I went into the woods because I didn't have money. You go to the woods because you don't have money to go to the movies or the roller skating rink or hang out at your friend's house, you know, and you couldn't have people over your house because there was no food. So you go to the woods. But in this world, maybe it's different. And um and so I thought that was interesting. Like, why are all these divisive forces coming in? And you know what it is? The East energy. We, we love nature connection. The South energy of adolescence. Then the wall of grief. So as a movement, this is coming into the wall of grief. Um, mm-hmm. Something to celebrate. But we need rites of passage around it. We need to put um, anchor points beyond the wall of grief so that people aren't stuck in the rut of pointing fingers at other people because now they're not on their own path and they're ripping people from their own path. They're, people are already, already um, holding these two burdens. One is self-doubt and the other one is distraction. And grief promotes or feeds those two burdens. 
And when, you know, yes, we get it. You're hurt. You're only saying that because you're blah, blah, blah. Film, you know, ironically, skin color is coming back as one of the divisive things. It's not the same way, but it's the same medicine, right? Mm-hmm. I see that. And, and mentioning it is like pushing wounds. So I want to apologize to anybody out there who's in that space using uh, words like privilege and toxic and um, get it out, man. Get it out. Rage against the machine. But at some point, define where that's coming from, where that injury is coming from to the point where you can roll up your sleeves and do something about it in your own locality within your own time constraints and resources. It might be something small. Maybe it's a small tea ceremony before a positive action plan, right? Um, and that's where the South comes in. We, we learn to pay attention to details in the South so we can bring that energy back up in the West on our, on our path to being a grandmother or grandfather. So you asked me about the North. Yeah, the North is about efficiency with attention to detail. It's about <laughs> surrendering this idea of bravado. Oh, I'm not afraid to die toward a more grandmotherly. Yep, we all go sometime. I'm going to label all these bins so when I'm gone, people know who's in <laughs> right uh, the practicality pragmatism efficiency uh and, and this this perspective that we can't hear on the on the, in the east or in the south or in the southwest or even in the west fully we can't hear it but we have to value it because they've been there you know mm-hmm. we have to value it. we can just lock them up give them a poor diet until they're senile and lock them up in a in a place where we visit them on thanksgiving we're lo- we've lost our elders. You're right. It's harder to find them. But this is what I would say to that. There's a, a Northern Lip in Apache saying that was handed to me through Tom Brown from Stalking Wolf, Coyote Thunder, that whole lineage. One day I woke up to look for my friends and I couldn't find any enemies. So the next day I woke up to look for my enemies and I couldn't find any friends. We are empowered with this powerful, powerful gift called choice. We choose our perspective. If we look at the landscape and see disheartening shortcomings, the destruction of our environment, and it's easy. It's in our face, isn't it? You don't have to do anything. Walk out, look out the window. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's that's a choice. Hold on to that choice until you get your gifts, you, you gain your power, and then you refine all of that into your action list each day. I would put more than eight to 12 items on that action list and celebrate when you get half or more done. But you know what that means? You have a purpose in life. You have a vision and you're following it. You're creating difference. doesn't matter that it's not noticed by the neighborhood, your family, or the world. The dishes are done. Someone didn't have to go out in the rain to get the mail. You noticed that old lady raking her yard and you made time in your life through the systems you've had to help her finish the job. You made a small difference. And you know what? Those small differences are the are the are the refreshing spring rain for our starving hearts who are looking to plug into something nourishing. You have to put into it to get something out of it. You know, a seed has to be planted before something can germinate and you can enjoy the fruits of that. But we don't learn that anymore, you know? Okay, well, we don't learn it anymore, but now you know it because I just told you, so what are you going to do about it? (laughs) Right? You want me to be your elder? I'll kick your ass. (laughs) But with love in my heart, you know? And, and when I grow up someday, I'm going to be an elder. I'm just in no hurry. Because, you know, the next step after elder is ancestor. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to jump into that job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not when you love life as much, you know, as you can. 
because your backyard is calling in this in the the weather's always different and we're alive we're alive man yeah but the world sucks yeah you can choose it i'm gonna put on my rose-colored battle goggles and i'm gonna dance in it i'm gonna find a puddle to dance and i'm gonna find a frog to get onto the other side of the road so we can make more eggs i'm gonna cut maple for my firewood in february for next year so that the rabbits can have the buds and make more babies which Gives us more bobcat, doesn't it? Gives us more coyotes and gray fox and red fox. And then besides, if they're eating all those maple buds, they won't bother my apple trees. <laughs> <laughs> so dancing it, man. That's a, I, if, if I were to say something, if I were to pretend to be an elder, which I can't be until another 20, 30 years, I would say something like playing it. Make meaningful difference with joy in your heart. And so that would bring me to what is it all for? You, you know, um, which I don't know if I should do that one because I'm on before I die, I want, right? No, you're on I am right now. Oh, I still I am? Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> I almost got ahead of myself. Great. I'll stop there then. I guess that's the I am is I don't know what I'm doing. I'm having fun making it up as I go and I'm trying to find the threads of ancestral wisdom wherever they aren't frazzled and burnt and bloodied and hurt that I can make connection to this landscape that I am stewarding until it gets passed to the next group that's what i'm doing that's i am. that's who i am excellent and um i before we yeah I know, this is great this is i'm all jazz right now and i want to, uh, before we move on to this next prompt um i want to ask you about um where does this uh model of the uh, east south west and north in terms of the developmental cycle where does that where does that originate from where, where does that work where, where can we credit that to well, direct conduit is John Young and Wilderness Awareness School after him. Um, he started that in Red Bank, but he had, as he says it, he had a vision of this, uh, these, this energy flowing through systems in the form of a wheel. And then he played it against some of his, some of his friends who were, um, a, you know, native, the original nations folk. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we got that. And he started seeing it everywhere, like not just in North America, but around the world. And I thought. So this is one of those universal tendencies that expresses in nature when humans are plugged in fully, mm-hmm. uh, which correlates with grandfather stalking wolf's vision, right? Of going out into nature with all of these gathered items from as much of humanity as he could, North and South America, East and West Coast, and what, what works, what pans out in nature. So that whole quest for universal truth is is where that came from. I, I think I call it the oldest story because it's found everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and um, I guess it, and it, the short answer is our collective ancestry. That's where that's honor your grandparents for it. Honor mm-hmm. their grandparents and then honor your unborn grandchildren and great grandchildren and that they might hear it. That's, mm-hmm. that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, I mean, just, just to like uh, something that, to reflect what you said is um, in terms of adoptive grandparents is I, my grandmother recently died about uh, two weeks ago and I had a very uh, limited relationship with her. She only spoke Korean. I only spoke English. And so the, the real weight of the relationship was when she died was, it was, uh, you know, helping my father in that role and just, just be, like help, understanding that he lost his mother and like, I lost my grandmother, but I have no emotional connection. I was just like, Oh, okay. We saw this coming. It wasn't, I had no tears for her, unfortunately, right. but as a result of her death, we're, you know, we're binding together as a family. And it's just something that, uh, for me personally that I see, and I want to 
you know, as a result of this conversation and going to try to cultivate more intentionally is, is more adoptive grandparents because my, on the other side, they also only spoke Korean and I only spoke English. So there's just, there, I've never had that grandparent relationship. And that has been something that um, has really, at least in the last year or two, I've really started to feel. And that is something that I, for the next generation, for my son, my six month old, uh, that's why I'm trying to cultivate relationships with my parents and with my parents-in-law, because I want him to have a relationship with his grandparents that I never had. And yeah. that I couldn't even imagine uh, the, the rewards of that loving relationship. And that's something that I see as uh, very important beyond the scope of just my life is just for his life and for his children to have that kind of stronger connection with the previous generations. Because I don't even know the name of most of my grandparents. I don't know the names of any of my great grandparents. And I think that's mm. a great tragedy. Yeah. You know, disconnect is hard in and of itself, not being familiar with the landscape we're immersed in is hard enough. Mm -hmm. Not being able to track our ancestry to the, the landscape from which they came. Mm -hmm. It's almost like our roots are severed on, on two different planes, right? Our roots are severed from the ancestral connection to the landscape that nourished our, our great, great, great grandparents and the love that they passed through us to the next generations. Mm -hmm. and, and our roots are severed with the living landscape that would nourish us now, in spite of the tumultuous, weird, lashy, injurious history that we've shared as a collective species with these severings, mm -hmm. we are still surrounded by life. We're still surrounded by life and it transitions into something else. And when you told me about working with your father to address his grief, that's, I call that cultural repair. So your grandmother's greatest gift, it seems from where I sit in your story to you is the tools and the realization of the power you wield in, in making deep nature, or not nature, but natural connections between loved ones um, through tragedy, you know, the loss of an elder. She did it right. She did it right when she exited out. A, 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 it seems like stronger bond between you and your father was created. Mm -hmm. So that's the efficiency and the power of an elder's love right there. <laughs> oh, this is such good stuff. I don't want this conversation to end Michael and Michael. It's, uh, it's so much fun, but uh, I think we got, we should move on to that next prompt of before I die, I want, how do you finish it? To honor the, the mentors in my life before I die. I want a medicine worker on every street corner, mm. hands down. And maybe everybody's just full with their own unique voice. They eat, we each have a piece of the sacred puzzle, but through that whole self-doubt and distraction cycle and, and, you know, in our modern flight or fight response baseline, well, like I said before, <laughs> There's a lot of work to be done, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Job security is pretty much guaranteed if you're going to pick up this sort of thing of being a whole human being to the fullness of what your passion gives you and, and, and learning how to reconcile that against the modern world so you can pay your bills on time and keep the lights on and keep your family engaged in your process. There's a challenge. I lay down the gauntlet, all you rewilders and primitive skills people. Keep your family engaged in the process homework you do that that's how the global consciousness shifts nobody cares that you're 
butt cheeks are hanging out of loincloth and you can get a hand drill fire in three seconds or less, you're not generating anything but envy and, and mild interest. Trust me on that. <laughs> <laughs> I played that game for like 20 years, man. <laughs> Uh, and you end up being really resentful and, and there's this rut you get, it, you get trapped into this rut of routine of, ah, oh, I love nature. I hate humanity. Well, what's that doing for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what they call a tracker without a partner? Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really like that. Let's so, uh, yeah. Reconcile your passion. Check your passion against your wake. Figure it out with action lists. These aren't to-do lists. Bread, milk, butter. No. Uh, today I will build a tracking box and I'll have it finished by next week. And these are the steps I'm going to do to get there, right? Uh, why are you doing that? Because I want to invite my friends over and do some tracking stuff with them because it's really cool. All right. All right. Cool. I, you know what you got to put on your action list for next week? What? Learn how to track accurately so that you can baffle them with actual skill instead of bullshit. Choose a language. Hope you don't have to worry about that. Um, Fine. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so the devil's in the details, man. If you're going to, if it is to be, it is up to me means you you have an ecological ideal. If you didn't, you wouldn't be so upset, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. You're upset. Got it. There's the fuel wood for your furnace. What are you going to do about it? Because nobody wants to hear any more complaining. You don't even want to hear any more complaining. Complaining's bleh. It's like getting stepping in dog poop. People just want to wipe it off. They don't want to absorb it. Mm-hmm. So create beauty. You know, let let your butt cash the checks your mouth is writing and make the difference in the world that that bumper says you sticker says you want to see. And right, you gotta you gotta show. You can't just blab. You gotta show. Mm-hmm. So go outside and play, <laughs> go outside and play and, and laugh really hard until someone else laughs with you. Pick raspberries, mm-hmm. be thankful for the raspberries you get, plant more raspberries. That might mean pooping in the woods, but you can do it <laughs> right. So no one steps in it and raspberries come out later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there's a, just a thread that I wanted to pick up was the, uh, this idea of, uh, you know, it's cool to play, uh, one hour like for a whole day and then not play for another six months but it's also more it's it's so much better to play for five minutes every day and to like really cultivate that practice over a long period of time that not sexy like consistency and discipline about that you know it's it's play but it's also you can be disciplined about the play and really create the space and the time and structure for it so that it happens every day and that's so much better than just the the once in a while kind of off the cuff when you feel like you have the time but when you like really make it so that it's build something over a long period Mm. yeah and uh i want to know how do you uh so the the two the two things you mentioned that i that i was picking up was that you want to um pay respects to those mentors that you've you've had the privilege of enjoying and you Mm -hmm. also want uh, a medicine worker on every corner (laughs) and so i want to know um how how do you how do you imagine yourself paying respect to those mentors other than, you know, carrying on those stories and telling them to others and seeing those fires continue and spread. But like, what are some other ways you imagine doing so? That's how I express my calories. Um, you know, we kill every day in order to survive. It doesn't matter if it's tofu or Bambi, it's going down and it had sentience and, you know, released pheromones through emotional response. We have all of this knowledge of plants and animals doing this. And, um, I think we should own some of the responsibility for how we've been working with that and adjust accordingly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
to honor the mentors. It's what I leave in my wake. I'd like to think this little bit of land here in Augusta, Maine will continue as a, as a palette for reintroduction, for landing back into a, into the membership of Gaia, of being able to responsibly express the calories we've taken in a way that reverses entropy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's one of the biggest ways to honor the mentors is, hey, I, I don't have a vision exactly like yours. And you're a human like me, and we fall short. But in the gifts that you've given me, know that these things have germinated and are growing and will be passed to the future generations. That that one key to immortality, the tapping in of our of our antenna array into the wisdom of our ancestors to be passed forward to the unborn generations did not fall on deaf ears in me because that's what love's all about. So I think to, to, to say I love you or send a card is, again, um, trite. But to demonstrate that love through action and expression of life for me, because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer and I need to, I need to do it in a way that, that means something for me. That means something for hopefully them. And that means something for the people I haven't met yet who are going to be born someday. And I don't know what that's, I don't know how that's going to stick. No one is going to say, yeah, bullseye right on. They might say, dude, what the heck are you thinking? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I'm doing my best with it. Yeah. No one knows what we're doing really. Um, But, you know, these are the waypoints and benchmarks I set up for myself after people I've loved deeply have died and i had to be present with that and people i've never met yet got born into this world who now i love deeply um you know i'm in that space where i look at all of these benchmarks and, and waypoints and go all right so these are my references what am i going to do to to generate wellness with all of that yeah mm-hmm. honor them through how i express my my short days which I suspect might be waning in the next 50 years, but I'm not rushing in. <laughs> and I, um, and I think that that does a deep, good job of addressing a lot of the next question that I have, which is how do you imagine this, this world of a medicine worker on every corner? And I think it's a part of that is, you know, people taking their visions and their, and, and applying it in a way that is authentic to them. Um, and, and, you know, it might not be exactly what you had in mind in terms of a medicine, but it can be a medicine and it works for some people that work for everybody. Yeah. So Tony Tenfingers talks about this a lot and Gilbert walking bull before him and, and the medicine or excuse me, the message that was, was passed along was that there were, um, there are symptoms to being a whole human. And some of them are a baseline of joy and a deep and profound stillness of heart, a silence that, you know, that, occurs when you're listening in nature you're listening not just with your ears you're listening with your heart because all of your senses all of them are open they're wide open and receiving faster than thought and you know the way it was shared with me is you have five physical senses and then all of them combined create a harmonic which is often received like intuition you know uh, mother's intuition or gut feeling or sixth sense we all have words for it and then the next piece the seventh aspect of that is you expand that and there's no limit to how far out it can go. And 
we use, you know, understanding behavior in, in the, the different calls of birds, you know, bird alarms and bird language and you know, the way chipmunks behave and tracking, for instance, to get our physical senses hooked on those things that we can't perceive in the moment with the limit of our physical senses, but we can through time and expansion using what the birds can see and what the ground has recorded, take ourselves out of the limits of our physical senses. And it doesn't take much, well, you know, imagination exists for a reason. We don't have tails, but we have tail bones. We just stopped using those tails. Nature's pretty efficient in shrinking out and making extinct what no longer fits in the systems. So we have imagination for a reason. And, you know, a lot of people imagine that from the sky, this place looked like a giant turtle. And you hear it in a lot of oral tradition, Turtle Island, North America, because it looks like a turtle from the Scott, long before hot air balloons, how did they know? How did they know that Florida was a tail and Alaska was a head and it looked like a giant turtle? What was that <laughs> all about? So, you know, we get into that with the awareness skills and um, we do some things that people can't ignore their results. No one's telling them what to think. They go out and they try these things and they come back with tears in their eyes. You know, there's so much unlocked potential in each of us, in all of us. Mm -hmm. A medicine person on every street corner is not I'm making a living, but that we are all self-actualized as our baseline. And any degree of discomfort or dis-ease is, is tracked internally and then addressed responsibly. Um, again, blockages, imbalances, and lack. What, is the, what are the antithesis of those things? Well, flow, balance, and bounty. There. There's your job description. <laughs> so before i die i want people to know that this is an available state of being for everyone and that there isn't entropy is not a done deal there is this suspiciously bright fission reactor turning hydrogen into helium many more times bigger than this planet that the original solar panels have been tapping into for millions of years, the trees, the shrubs, the plants. All we have to do is learn how to reintegrate. And the cool thing is we could probably keep a lot of our toys. You know, we can model our solar panels on the, uh, the pattern of tree branches and increase their efficiency. We can look at all of the things that we've done to the detriment of the entirety of all these systems and reverse them at an exponential rate based on nature literacy and our new shiny gadgets. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's just we got to go through this grief stage before people get tired of being miserable and roll up their sleeves and want to do something about it. I feel like we're on the crest of a wave that's just going to sweep in, and but we have to be willing to ride it. Mm -hmm. Too many people are worried about the coral and the under, you know, the riptide and sharks and well, okay, when you get tired of that, come surfing. <laughs> yeah there's a phrase that i like to use is that there's a there's a there's a tough a challenging side of the work and then there's a fun side of the work and you yeah. can tell when somebody's on the fun side of the work and you tell can tell when somebody's hasn't even thought about the hard side of the work or, or is doing the, the hard side of the work yeah yeah there's thankless endless hours that it's the it's the it's the work that honors the vision mm -hmm. i've heard it once said as the as the red road so you have uh mm -hmm. You have the Western society, which is aptly named, right? In the East, you have this wide-eyed wonder, I want it now! And in the West, you have the gifts. But you're missing all of the hard energy of earning it. And mm -hmm. so it lacks sacred. And when it lacks sacred, it goes away. Um, you know, when you're not thankful, 
so many stories in, in our ancestral collective that admonish us what happens when we forget to be thankful. And you can't be thankful if you haven't worked for it. <laughs> it's just, you know, oh, thanks for the pocket knife, dad. And then you lose it, <laughs> right? Because he didn't earn it. But at least that was my story with it. Um, yeah, I guess that means if you're going to have a medicine person on every street corner, that those people have worked hard to get to where they are on that street corner. And then they're going to have to put up with the people who haven't gotten there yet, resenting them or adopting them as mentors and then killing them as their Buddha. All of that weird undercurrent that happens as part of the natural cycle of things. It's like cordage. When you make cordage, you have to twist the fibers against each other just enough to create the tension to keep them together and make them strong. Right. So there has to be a little bit of tension, but it should never be the focus of the dinner party. Mm-hmm. it's like oh man we worked really hard to make these dishes and so did they and we get to share in the feast now that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah so, um is there anything else you want to talk about before you die or should we move on to the next prompt before i die i want to see at least one of our butternut trees produce butternuts that's a little <laughs> selfish of me but <laughs> you get a you get a few of those selfish ones i think <laughs> <laughs> that might make me 120 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the next one, when I die, I want. Ooh, well, if I were king of suburbia, when I die, I want every hedgerow to be chock full of wild edible medicinal and utilitarian plants like they are in England. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, when I die, I want a peaceful transition surrounded by my loved ones, a beautiful sunset, I'd like to end it where I started, so May. Of course, that would ruin everybody else's birthday. My whole family's in May. <laughs> so maybe maybe April 30th or 31st, so, so just before May. <laughs> yeah, kind of a bummer. We're, we're remembering Dad, but hey, our birthdays are coming up. I think that would be a good setup for him. Yeah, the tragedy and then the flush with the happiness. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that would be a good way to do it. Um, Hermit Thrush is singing. They're just starting in the early part of May and the late part of June. That would be a good time. Yep. Hmm. Oh, I'd have books to release, which means I'd have to have enough time indoors to, to write them. <laughs> so maybe three years before I go, I'm, I'm not inhibited mentally capacity wise. I can still write books somehow, but maybe some injury slows me down enough that I can, wistfully remember when i could walk outside barefoot and then write all that that stuff down to pass it around yeah Mm. two and a half three years should do it Mm. so there it is nice slow a glass of red wine hmm yep oh i want to i want to be able to have time to make the collection of music so that you know at the funeral there's music playing maybe Mm. some crazy awkward humorous videos too. like one of my sons i do it like james bond if you're watching this movie i am probably to <laughs> <laughs> uh, my daughter just i would give her advice as a as a grandparent to her becoming a grandparent mm. you know it'd be tailor-made stuff like that um to my my business son to take time to love enough and fully every family member um to pass to his because he's going to have one like him you know He's going to have one that pops out being the businessman and some of the stuff that I wish I could have given him more fully as a parent learning how to be a parent. 
I could give to him as a grandparent coming in, mm-hmm. me exiting out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when I, you know, cause when I was a kid, I was like, dad, tell me all your stories. Cause I knew he wasn't doing well and he just never did. He never told me all of his stories. So I'm going to do what I can to tell the stories that will help the people. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's what I want when I die is to have all of those kind of ducks in a row. You know, as far as the clothes and the tools and the in the digging sticks and the hides, I let them fight over it. <laughs> At least they're they're still interacting with each other. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, leave, you gotta leave some conflict behind, right? Just a little. Yeah, you gotta do it. <laughs> um, and uh, so before I I dive into some of the uh, to some of that meat that you just provided on the platter for me. Um, I want to uh, just, just to address that little bit about like spending enough time to write. And I think that uh, just, you know, a little bit, we could talk about this offline as well, but I think for you, what would be a really wonderful way to get those stories out and to get those books out is to uh, transcribe them, like to, have, to you record them verbally and then somebody else or like a computer program can write can transfer it from from the verbal word to the written word, and then you can edit it that way. That way, you're not just hunched over a keyboard to type it away. Oh, I think that I would work a lot better for you. Is just to sit outside, record for a couple hours, and then come back in, and then have it just like a couple like couple pages written for you. You know, um, right? I think that would be a good way to think about it for you. Just you know, just throwing that out there for you. Well, it certainly would help. But my gosh, all those typos, right? And oh, I tried it once, but I'm just too busy living it. I can't write about it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's so much more story to be had. <laughs> that is very true as well. Yeah, you got a little bit more time before you head to the north. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, I wonder, um, you described the first things that kind of popped out were uh, you want like a night, a quiet uh, death surrounded by loved ones. And I wonder, is that something that you want uh, because you've had models of that kind of, of a transition like that from life to death? Or have you seen had models of that? we're not like that and you want something very different than the experience that you saw i think it's more like i don't get enough of it now i mean the the sacred silence is the baseline for i guess i do get it but i don't get it as a fisherman hanging off a dock uh, you know with my feet in a glass smooth lake with little fish nibbling at my toes and no care at all as to whether or not i catch a fish Mm. I'm more interested in watching the loon or the heron or the distant osprey getting robbed by the eagle or the hum of the earth. I'm on earth time. And I don't get that enough. I get more of the, I'm surfing it. There's a whole bunch of people in my backyard. We have six months to uh, share all of the tools that will give them constant uh, creativity and enlightenment in any environment. And I'm going to fall short because we're going to run out of time. That's Mm. so I'm in the rush of it instead of, the depth of the deeply rooted timeless turtle of it. And, and you know, when it comes, I savor it. There's my red wine. That's my red wine. When it comes, I make space for it by taking off my shoes, but I have to wear shoes because there's phone calls and you know, someone's backing up to deliver a package and there's an apprentice lost in the woods or someone stubbed their toe or an opportunity to learn about, the healing properties of balsam fur pitch because someone cut themselves with a knife. There's always unfolding story in, in that way where the baseline is unbelievable to people who I, who I love because their, their baseline is a cubicle in Atlantic city, New Jersey doing accounting for a casino. Mm -hmm. Right. And they don't, they don't, when I tell my daily stuff, they think it's fantastic. Like it can't be true. Fantastic. 
Mm. So I stopped saying what I do and I listen to their daily stuff. And well, you know, it's like watching paint dry sometimes, but I love them and it's important to them. And the, and the paint doesn't fill their bucket. The paint drying doesn't fill their bucket. So they come up every once in a while. They come up once a year from New Jersey and my woods has to brace itself, you know, and I have to hold as much space as I can for timelessness with New Jersey time in my woods. <laughs> <laughs> so I could tell them about the coyote. They're not going to see one mm. unless I bring them over to the wildlife rescue, which I do, you know, um, I could tell them about the weasel hunting the rock wall. I could tell them that the birds aren't near us because they're chain smoking and shouting and wanting to shoot guns and things. But, you know, what's that going to do? So the trees don't move. So I share with them some edibles and some medicinals. I'll point out an obvious track or a piece of poop on a rock and tell them who did it. And they'll want to see the animals. And I know they won't be able to for, for a while, unless I worked with them, unless they decided to stay for two months. But that would exhaust me. Mm. you know i give my i give my life force to the the final calorie um october 15th i drop for two weeks every year every year they come in april 20 something as close to uh the spring as i can get without you know the frozen pipes being a concern and we surf that wave for six months straight the apprentices and i my kids get jealous of the attention i i spend with my my extended community but at the same time they relish in that extended community there's this razor's edge you you surf it man and you, they'll they hold me to it like you're going to be at my graduation i said oh emily needs attention so i give her a big hug and we go get some ice cream right um but it's like that there's an intensity i stand on the shoulders of giants who've had two or three or four divorces because they they were selfish with their vision. It's an intoxicating thing. Knowing who you are, what you are, where you are, and that you have a limited time to dance with it fully. They didn't ask for that. You know it. You know they didn't ask for it too. But you know who you are and you're in it. And you only know you. And, and the rest of the world's confusing. But you love them, don't you? You love them. So you got to be with that. You got to be with that as much as you are with yourself or else you're selfish with your vision. Yeah. Check your passion against your wake. Mm -mm. Nothing humbles more than youth. Nothing humbles more than youth. That's another thing to think about. Before I die, I want people to realize that you're not going to be young forever. And how you treated your elders is going to come back to haunt you. Because the little ones are watching you treat your elders that way. And you're going to be their elders. So get on it. Stop messing about. Adopt those wisdom keepers who are hurt and twisted and feel alone and are lashing out from pain and uncertainty, who see the world that was their certainty being cursed and slandered and put to blame for everything when they tried their best and fell short. And with a broken heart, they have to hear with their hurt ears all of the anguish and, and disconnect of the youth who, whose fists are flailing and punching and blaming and pointing instead of reaching out and forgiving. Because they want to forgive too, but they don't know how. They don't know where to start. They need to start with themselves. We all, all of us, young, old, unborn, need to forgive ourselves first. Yeah, we kill every day in order to survive. What are you going to do about it? You're going to leave dozer tracks? You're going to leave fox tracks? 
When the fox poops, it makes raspberries. <sighs> so there's that. I wonder, because um, it sounds like you have lived a number of lives as, uh, you know, the young man who joined the Marine Corps, the young man that left and uh, the, the, the man that founded this main purpose skill schools, you know, you've, you've known a lot of people and you've, you've seen a lot of things, I think. Um, well, yeah, you know, I joined the Marine Corps to learn survival and was greatly disappointed. I didn't realize Tom Brown was an anomaly on the landscape and that Mr. Eckhart was one of his friends and our, our troop was heavily influenced by skills that were not accessible to any other Boy Scout troop on that mm. landscape at that time. And so, you know, he, my Scoutmaster wore moccasins. I thought every Scoutmaster wore moccasins, even at the Camp Reeves. I never noticed that they were different. They would just sit around the fire and drink coffee together, you know. Um, but tracking and edibles and medicinals, these are things that weren't shared in every troop, unbeknownst to me. So I'm going to join the Marine Corps and learn real survival. Boy, that was an eye opener. Mm -hmm. Wait to get rescued. Here's a handful of skills dependent on a bunch of equipment. Hope you get rescued in four days. And um, huh. I think I owe Tom Brown like 12 bucks because I was at the USO and I just randomly picked up a book and started reading it. I was like, I know this guy. He's going to come out from behind in Tom's River. And he's being chased by dogs. I know that tree. I know that rock. He's going to come out from where my, my karate school is. Near the travel lodge in Waterville by the boat marina. Oh no, it's that guy. Like I realized all at once that this was the guy who influenced scouting in Ocean County, New Jersey. So mad. I had a year and a half left to go, and I already signed up for two more survival schools trying to get the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, so that part of me, I undid it by going to a lot of Grateful Dead shows and going to college because they had women in college. Mm -hmm. And they didn't psychologically torture you in the same way as the Marine Corps did. <laughs> and I learned a lot about that other end of, a, of a, this false dichotomy that we're experiencing now. You know, the, there's this red meat-eating, no-neck nuggery on one end of this, this false dichotomy. And then the other end is these wavy gravy buffalo fart chicken feather shaman who hug trees and i jumped in head first in both of those realms and i still do i like it i like it when you know every once in a while a kid will come up and say are you a, a are you a are you a redneck or a tree hugger and i just go yup <laughs> <laughs> mm. because we all have a little bit of all of that in us and why are we denying one half of our being to please or appease or Avoid conflict with the other. Start with that central sacred fire. Forgive ourselves. Mm. Forgive ourselves so that we can dance the, the dance of life with other people instead of that dark, narcissistic abyss that is never satiated. It's never satiated. If you want to be, a, you could jump into that abyss. There's no bottom, man. And if you want to fill yourself with grief, you'll never feel full. It'll never bring fulfillment. You should just drink enough of it to go, oh, yeah, I don't want to step in that. What do we do about that? Okay, too big for me to do something about, but what if we work together on it? Okay, maybe I can't do anything about it or all of us, but what can we work on? You know, one of my mentors, Bruce Lee, you must become like water, right? And think of water as rounding the sharp edges of those rocks and of uh, taking the path of least resistance, but creating 
the cycles that provide life. Water is life, right? Isn't that something we just learned the hard way through the wisdom of ancestral memory in the Midwest? I mean, that's a powerful reminder. If we emulate those powerful forces of nature, we can really shape things. So I don't know if that answered the question, but forgiving ourselves is a first is a big start. Um, I did jump into everything full force. I still have friends from fifth grade, um, friends from the Marine Corps, friends from college. And a lot of them I met with a headbutt, going through sheetrock walls, fighting in bars. I've lost some good teeth, but I've got good friends to show for it. You know, because I was a warrior in the fullest sense of the word. I wanted to fight for my people. I didn't know what for. I don't think anybody really does. It was more than the shiny bumper sticker, the Marine Corps bumper sticker. It was virtue and honor and valor and all of those things that inspire us on a primal level. But when we look at our modern landscape, it's not couched in a responsible outlet that encourages wisdom keepers at the end of that outlet in a physical plane and maybe, you know, inspiring ancestral story beyond that where it did, it used to, and we know it used to do. We could just search our own backstory long enough. We could find those stories again, right? And they're certainly here on these landscapes that we are in now. I don't like, all right, so here, there, there's some vocabulary happening that comes from grief. So please, again, if I'm offending you, it's not my, my intent. It might be that I am insensitive to your wound and I want to apologize for those of you out there. But I would say that the word decolonization can be translated to kill the white people just putting that out there because there's pain in all of us and there's remorse in all of us and there's things that we can no longer control in this generation going forward in all of us and there's a desire to connect with each other and to heal with each other in all of us as well that's the piece i'm feeding that's the piece i it's the only thing i can do is feed the how can we find a common story with each other to pass it to our unborn collective grandchildren better than we found it? That is where I hold my space with it. And it, you could you could bring all that story, that that venom, and, and, and I understand you're going to carry it because you're hurting. And maybe it's not my job to help you with that. Maybe I have to step the heck out of the way. Or maybe it's my job to be, hey, this guy pisses me off. Well, that's something about me I just learned. I wonder why he pisses me off so much. Okay, well, I'm glad I could be of service. Don't hurt me. I'm trying to be a good dad to my kids and you'll break their hearts. <laughs> Please. <laughs> right? I mean, what else do I got? <laughs> so um, I'm doing the best I can with it. And um, I hope, hope people can see past their pain long enough to see that we're all in it together. And none of us know what's going on. We're all hurting and we're all desiring to be well. And I think in that struggle, if we, if we could recognize in each other that struggle, Holy mackerel, man. Wouldn't that change the world, huh? Wouldn't that change the world? Mm -hmm. We'd be calling people names before we meet them. We'd be looking for openings. Yeah. Creating space to reconcile. So, yeah. Decolonization. How about reconciliation? How about recovery? How about um, other words that open doors instead of build walls? We've already been colonized, all of us. So the deed is done. Now what? Okay, well, we have this as our, our, our foundation. Let's build something productive, shall we? Uh, do we really need triangular and uh, rectangular gar gardens? Can we just make the forest a garden? Oh, there's a thought. 
So we'll take the gardening knowledge that we learned from that 500 year weird space of time and apply it to our forests. Well, wasn't that what they were doing? Yeah, but now we have science that we can we can use as well as campfire stories. We can do both, right? We have silviculture and we have soil science and we have all these understandings of bacteria and mycelium. We can really jam out on it now. Let's not squander the pain of what happened in the last 500 years, the horrors by just sitting around and complaining about it. Let's express with gratitude and acknowledgement that we'll never fill those voids in our own one generation through action toward repair, toward understanding and, and crying together maybe, but then creating something together too. The creating of something together is, good, is what the, the next generations are going to inherit, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? We got to make that good. So anyway, that's just my two cents. And uh, again, I don't come from a place of arrogance with it. It's more like love and desperation. What you hear is a passion born of love and, and a little bit of heartbreak. So, yeah. Mm. And so I think that's a great uh, jumping off point to this final prompt of after I die, I want. How do you finish that? Well, after I die, hmm. I want to surrender this energy that's been moving this body around toward where it could make the greatest good. Yeah, not sure where that's going to be. With my luck, it's going to be a buffalo fart, but maybe it'll inspire somebody. Maybe at some point I'll find this energy drifting around somebody's cranium who is desperate and lost and searching for themselves. And an image flashes in their mind screen during a deep dream state that reminds them of who they are. And they, they wake up looking forward to the day for the first time in 20 or 30 years. And their whole family ripples out in wellness for it. That would be cool. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying Buffalo farts aren't useful, but that would be a nice way to do it. After I die, I'd like to see the pendulum not swing so, so harshly from left to right all the time. Um, That as caretakers, we look at the natural cycles and we look at the energy, learn how to read the energy moving through those systems to find those patterns. And then read the cycles of those patterns as diagnostic tool for the wellness of our, of our planet, of our neighborhood, of our, of our species and of the future generations collectively moving forward. That would be cool. That's a lot to ask for one person, isn't it? I'm going to need some help. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that resonates with folks, how does that look with your own voice attached to it? Cause you're going to express that in your own unique way, personal sovereignty toward, uh, greater re- resilience and diversity and health and wellness as a living, breathing organism floating through space. We're more than just a dirty raindrop, this planet, us. We're more than that, you know. Mm-hmm. You can see it in the dance, in that great spiral dance, that Fibonacci sequence, that, you know, pattern that expresses itself over and over again as a spiral or as a waveform or as a sphere or as a torus you know yeah that's what i'd like to be a part of that great dance after this physical body falls down uh, in such a manner as to maintain the balance and, and to minimize the thrashing about so to speak raise the harmonic a little bit nothing too greedy just want to play in it Mm -hmm. And I think we've talked a lot about those ideas and how that 
that manifests in, in your everyday life and in the relationships that you have. And I wonder what do you, how do you imagine that, uh, when I talk about the future, um, you know, a lot of people will think about it in terms of like the next season, the next year, the next like major milestone of their life. But when I talk about the future, I want you to imagine like a, the deep future when you're talking about seven generations from now for 10,000 years from now, uh, you know, when things are very different from now, but in, very much connected to this present moment. Um, mm. what, what do you imagine that deep future to look and feel like? Yeah, I think by fifth grade, everybody has this idea of just because you can doesn't mean you should. That would be a good baseline for end of childhood entering adolescence. And then through adolescence, having in place as part of the, if we're going global, if we're going global, I would like to keep the uniqueness born of ecotones in the expression of humanity across the globe. So we're not a monoculture of wall Martians. And um, if we're going to invade other planets with a paradigm, it's a paradigm of how do we build the soils and manifest bounty and create mutually beneficial relationships with what already exists rather than let's take this plant a flag and make bubble houses, you know? So we're caretakers on a on a global scale. We remember the natural wisdom. We marry it with the best practices of our modern technology. And then we look outward. And maybe that moment is when those entities that have been looking at us as the loud, noisy neighbor invite us over for a party. <laughs> right? <laughs> maybe we make some kind of universal connectivity because let's face it, we're loud and obnoxious and we tend to destroy and break things. So we're not ready for prime time. But um yeah, we grow full. We grow into the fullness of our being as a planet, as a as a participant in the symbiotic dance of our limited physical presence, and that that just hums along. And because there's going to be enough to deal with, there's black holes and there's chaos. There's always going to be chaos. There's always going to be that which strengthens our resolve and our understanding and our love and our empathy. So, uh, maturing emotionally as the global economic community toward more of a sense of ancestral stewardship would be a nice roadmap piece where the children are told stories by loons and starry nights, not mylar sheets and advertising. Um, and uh, they get to use their technology to, to engage more fully with all of their senses in a living biome. Mm. I know it's a lot to ask for, but you know, I think we're all pushing on 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 some invisible paradigm that doesn't fit us too comfortably. We're trying to bust loose from it. We haven't really defined it for ourselves yet, so we can't collectively come to a consensus on directions to go. It's bubbling, it's it's stewing around, but there's a lot of conflict right now. It's a good it's a, it's a good cauldron of of realization, but it's kind of sloppy still. But the piece that I I hope happens seven generations from now as we got over that. And that we've kept enough chaos to remind our children why war is bad. But that nobody has to suffer indefinitely and through multiple generations of scar tissue like we had to go through over the last 500 years and the great forgetting. And now at the cusp of the great remembering, um, we are planting the seeds towards responsible upbringing of all of life through not telling people what to think or plants where to grow through tapping into and understanding those systems and how energy moves through them.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I'd like to be after I'm gone. Mm-hmm. That's that is a very wonderful and that is a very wonderful vision of what that deep feature could and I think should look like. Um, and yeah, the devil's in the details. <laughs> that's for sure. Right. So the grandchildren are going to say, "Oh yeah, sounded great, Granddad, from where you were at." But look what we got to deal with. <laughs> Trust me, kiddos. We all had to deal with it. Our World War II great-grandparents had to deal with it. And we're all, all going to fall short of your perspective, expectations, wants, and needs. And it's the needs that break our hearts because wants and needs are two different things. And we got confused with it too. We got confused. Our wants and needs got confused and distracted. I mean, fascism was a pretty big distraction. Consumerism is a huge distraction. Um, convenience kills. We know that now. We know that convenience makes us soft and short-sighted and lazy with it and we didn't have to ignore the earth for it to go awry, um, but we did because there were bright and shiny things in our face. 42-inch plasma screen TVs, to be precise, telling us what to think and how to dread the earth and how to take medications to make us not depressed so we could watch another news cycle distractions. I'm not sure what it's going to be for you, but we're going to honor that it's just as powerful, if not more so, and assure you we did our best with the love we had in our hearts and the limited time we had here. That's what I would say to those seven generations out people. In spite of all the crazy love. Yep. That's excellent. And you know what? I usually ask people to speak directly to the audience. And I think you did. And I think that's the best that those are some words that can really uh, stand the test of time. And I think um, that's a great place to end this conversation. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good one. Thanks, man. Um, I usually tell people go out there, change the world, have fun doing it and don't get caught. But I would say instead, any a kid wants to die for a cause, but an adult wants to live for one. And we need more adults. <laughs> but don't grow up. Don't grow up. <laughs> Just come from a different foundation in your play. Yeah, that's it right there. Excellent. Thank Thanks you so much. Have that. Thank you, man. Uh, peace to everyone out there, and, and thank you for this opportunity. This has been Michael Douglas on Death.